Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmell, a blue-collar detective framed for murder who has to clear his name by any means possible. Fortunately, I have with me today a fellow detective from the other side of the city who's also framed for the same crime. He's currently a major in the United States Army and a team manager, or the team manager, of the Army Esports Tabletop Wargaming team, as well as a co-host of the Forge the Narrative podcast. He's the Ray Tango to my Gabriel Cash, Major Red Powell. Red, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's great, Dave. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, you and I have uh, obviously met and hung out a few times um, at different events, but it's uh, I'm glad we can finally get you on the show here because, you know, I... I love talking 40K with you as well as, of course, Army stuff. So. Oh, I'm extremely excited. Thanks for the, again for the opportunity. Having listened to, to several of your shows, uh, it's, it's, I, I really appreciate this. Oh, thanks, man. Appreciate it. So uh, obviously you as an armor officer are a big fan of Imperial Guard, but today we're going to talk about your, your other redder love, the World Eaters. <laughs> they are a true passion of mine. That's for sure. Yeah. So I was actually talking with, with uh, Shauna the other day, like, on your list of loves, is it IG, then World Eaters, then Necrons? Oof, that's tough. Um, yes, I, I, I think I have to. And so there's actually uh, my Space Marines that I you never see me play in public, and my uh, Drukari. I think if you'd gotten, you know, you talked to me several years ago, it may have may have been in a very different order, but I, I do think that is definitely the order right now. It is my my Gaunt's Ghosts. IG army and then world eaters and then Necrons. I actually think that world eaters were, were in the prime there for a while. Uh, and Drukari were, especially when we talk about like fifth edition and when they just rolled out 2010 with the new model range and everything, Oh yeah. I was really excited for them. Uh, and I, I loved their direction, but, uh, world eaters, man, I, I've run them for so long, uh, competitively, uh, it, Chaos Space Marines, you know, World Eaters weren't technically their own thing for a minute there um, until like Corn Demon Ken really took off. And you could go back to third edition, whatever, so on and so forth, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it's right now, my Gaunt's Ghost still, still, I, I was really, those were like one of those dream armies for me. And to really grow into that, be able to develop it and, and get what I've got on the table now, I'm so happy with that. And my, my World Eaters by no means took too, too much of a backseat. They, they definitely have kept up. And then Necrons, I've, I've always really, the, something about the aesthetic of robot skeletons. Uh, one of my yeah. brothers was really into it earlier on, and I loved them. And when the Silent King came out, um, and even just before that, I, I was really, I liked this kind of unstoppable horde concept that I think they did a really good job, especially from, you know, they were really killy in 6th edition, 7th edition. But 8th edition, they did a really good job, in my opinion, of playing on the horde concept and just this you know, limitless legion. So pretty exciting. Yeah. No, totally. I totally agree. I, when I used to play Warhammer fantasy, I had, uh, my only army was tomb Kings. And so oh, when nice. I had to, when I had to put away fantasy, you know, uh, and then, um, I, I was kind of bummed out for a while. Cause I liked that unstoppable horde, the, 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 the shambling horde of skeletons and stuff. And then, uh, and then when, when, um, uh, ninth started, I got the, the starter box that was the, I forget the name of the box, but anyway, I got that box. And so I had a bunch of Necrons in it and I was like, oh, well, since I have these, I should just start a Necrons army. So I've, oh, got, yeah. a, I've got a small collection started upstairs. 
um, that I still plan on growing someday. But then Votan came out and took all my attention. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, all right, let's get on to this. Uh, before we get into anything, uh, once again, we got to always thank Games Workshop for sending us, um, you know, we had we were provided, or at least I was provided advanced preview copies of some of the indexes. Um, and much appreciated to them for sending me that so that I could at least do some of my homework before uh, having a great interview with Red here to talk about world leaders. Uh, so thank you to, to Games Workshop for their trust and confidence in us. Um, and with that, we will take our first sponsor break of the day for The Outpost. The Competitive 40K podcast is proudly supported by The Outpost, your friendly local gaming store with the most helpful and friendliest of staff. After visiting the Outpost, I was taken aback by the whole host of products available in-store and online. With awesome discounts, gaming tables and a huge range of terrain for different game systems, the Outpost is certainly a great place to hang out and hobby. Check out www.the-outpost.co.uk or go and visit them in-store. And we are back, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, leave us a five-star review if you would be so kind. Uh, if you want to follow us on Instagram, uh, don't forget to check out Steve. Uh, he's over there at, at the Vanguard Tactics, and I'm on there at, at Infantry Lawyer 40K. Red, do you want to um, pitch anything or any? You know, where can people check you out? Find find you, follow you. Sure. Yeah. No. On 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 Facebook, uh, Black and Gold Wargaming is our community page that we have on Facebook. Uh, you can go there and you can engage with the U.S. Army esports team pretty pretty easily. Um, I'm through there, and if you're you're trying to get a hold of me, you can typically get a hold of me there. Um, you can find me on Discord. Uh, my, I know they've got the new naming conventions now for Discord, so a slight adjustment there. But um, for that, my, you can find me at just, I mean, it's pretty easy. My, my call sign is Redistopheles, kind of like Mephistopheles, but red. And so uh, you can find me there at Redistopheles on Discord. And I'll, I'll gladly be a, love to talk to anybody about wargaming or the Army military scene. Um, the U.S. Army esports team has a lot of great opportunities. It's not just about active duty. It's uh, National Guard, reserves, and uh, veterans and civilians that are just interested in supporting the, the team and the community. Uh, so it's, it's a great aspect for that. Awesome. And of course, uh, don't forget to, if you like hearing Red today, don't forget to check out uh, the Forge the Narrative podcast. comes out about once a week uh, with Red. Uh, Paul Murphy, the um, inestimable and almost uh, talks as fast as I do, Adam Camilleri uh, <laughs> and uh, Tiny Gates. So yeah. uh, uh, they're one of my favorite podcasts. Definitely check them out. So with that, um, let's talk some world leaders. So Red, what is should besides, you know, the sort of overly broad idea of charging and chopping, um, what should be the expectation of people who either have never played world leaders before or are facing them for the first time? That whole charging and fighting thing you just mentioned is, I mean, it's really hard to go beyond that. I, I honestly, I walk up to the table in most cases and tell everybody, hey, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a level four NPC. I'm going to just charge at you and you just have to play tower defense. If you can keep me off you, then you get to win. And that's it. And so uh, that, that's, that's my, my joking intro to my army when I start to explain it. But in right. all seriousness, I mean, it's been um, since really... You know, in 2017, I was playing a list of 60 Berserkers, three units of 20, with uh, Dread Claws and a Charybdis. And so I was just dropping out of the sky, and everybody was in your face. And then I was also doing the Alpha Legion uh, scout move and everything that they kind of have built in now. You know, several years later, they're, they're still doing a lot of things like that. And so that's very much what you should expect. 
they they don't really it's they just don't have the arsenal of ranged capability. There is some. I'm not going to downplay it, but it really does lean itself towards uh, a very much heavily focused melee. And so, anytime you see a, a primary world eater's army, that's that's what you can expect. Yeah, not not a lot of GSC jank with blips or um, a lot of cowardly pointy ear indirect fire nonsense. <laughs> no, no, there's there's definitely they have they they do move fast. They they can get across the table pretty quick. Uh, it's just a matter of if they can they can get it right with how hard they bring the hammer. Uh, the blips kind of deal, you know, they they've got some scout move, so they're gonna they might surprise you if you're not used to seeing the scout move come across the table. Uh, but definitely no no worries of of indirect capabilities. No, you know, I always enjoy as some people describe things as uh, elements or mechanics of non-interaction. Um, indirect is a it definitely there's there is an aspect of interaction just because you can't get to it fast enough may not be the indirect shooter's problem right yeah i remember when i was like when i was in afghanistan um just sort of like stuck in a guard tower or whatever and i just started daydreaming about 40k and wondering why space marines didn't have something like a basilisk or some kind of you know because you know in the infantry what you call in our the artillery you know and <laughs> That's right. I was cross-trained to call an artillery strike, so I knew how valuable it could be. Why why Space Marines don't have that? Whirlwinds have never quite done it for me. I don't know the Desolation Marines count, but... Yeah, the, the Thunder Thunderfire Cannon had its day. Um, yeah, I think it's been true. surpassed a little bit. And it's still got some cool aspects in regards of slowing movement and all, but it's 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 not the same. It's not this no. destructive barrage that Eldar and I'd, I'd argue IG has to an extent. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, so let's talk about the, uh, before we get sidetracked too much, um, as you and I generally tend to do when we hang out and talk, um, <laughs> what's, uh, let's talk about the army role, the blessings of corn. Oh man, they did. So uh, I'll say if I can without, you know, I won't drag on too much about it because of course we, you simply have to move on. Right. I get it. Right. Um, we, we had, uh, with corn Demonkin, which I mentioned, which was back in seventh edition, they had, uh, blood tithe. They kind of brought the blood tithe back in ninth, and so it was a really cool mechanic. Whereas you killed stuff, you built up points, and you got to use those points to do stuff. And that has now gone away completely as we walk into tenth. So let's start. Let's just move on. I won't bring up blood tithe anymore. Uh, maybe when we get to Angron, I'll bring it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, it with, was a cool system. Blood tithe was a very cool system. And it, it was. It was very thematic too. So it was, and and I won't say that blessings of corn isn't thematic. Um, I like the direction of it. I, I do think that it's it's maybe got a better balance to it. But as we've already mentioned with some of the aspects of Eldar indirect and, and other things, maybe maybe we could have kept Blood Tithe, but we didn't. So moving <laughs> on to Blessings of Corn. Right. Um, you know, is a great mechanic. You take eight dice. Corn's favorite number is eight. So you start with that and then you roll those. And then depending on the combinations you get from that, you can essentially buy two Blessings, more or less. And so you go through and you roll, uh, you know, out of eight dice, if you have three twos and two sixes or something like that, then you can use those to do certain things as you go through. They have different blessings. You can only use two. And so that's probably, uh, you know, as we talk about this system specifically, I wish that you could, you know, if you get lucky and you roll a bunch of combinations, like what, why couldn't you? But I get it as you kind of, as I list off some of these things, you can understand why it would get kind of crazy because this is every battle round. Every battle round you do this, you roll eight dice 
you build out these blessings and then you roll out with the, with the two blessings that you can make from it. And there's certain ways to manipulate the dice. You have to build it into your, and we'll talk more about that with the data sheets. Um, but the first one, and honestly, one of my favorites, Rage-Fueled Invigoration. Any double of those combinations. So, you know, you roll, let's say I somehow Yahtzee it, roll six sixes and two twos or something. I'd take the any double, so the two twos, and I'd add two inches to the movement characteristic models in this unit, which the whole army just suddenly gets a little bit faster. Just fast enough to make what I would say is a, a, a an appetizing difference, really. Like two inches is... It's it's <laughs> it's nothing to scoff at. We'll say that. Right. Uh, the the next one, another any double combo, wrathful devotion. Models in this unit have the feel no pain six up ability. Uh, if models already have the feel no pain ability, they add one to their feel no pain. It's not horrible. It's a little bit of resilience to the army. They are you know, uh, thankfully, I know I had to wait all the way to the end of ninth edition for corn berserkers to get two wounds, uh, but they do have it now. <laughs> so I'm, I'll take it. And then to give a six up, feel no pain is not horrible. Uh, martial excellence for double threes. Uh, so if you get two threes out of those eight dice, you can turn them in for martial excellence of melee weapons equipped by models in this unit have the sustained hits ability, which is, I mean, again, you know, I was used to my corn berserkers having uh, death to the false emperor and how you could buff that. That's where you used to, if you rolled a six, you got an extra hit. And that's pretty much what this is based off of sustained hits. Uh, total carnage, a double four or any triple out of the corn dice. Each time a model in this unit is destroyed by a melee attack, if that model has not fought this phase, roll one D6 on a four up. Do not remove play. The destroyed model can fight after the attacking model's unit has finished making its attacks. Then it's removed from play. Pretty awesome, especially in some of the, you know, you know you're going into melee. You know you're going into a fight. If you know you're going into a fight that you're going to lose or you're going to get smeared, by fights first or something like that. This is one of those things where you can play that to your advantage and make it count. At least get the fight that you wanted out of those models before they get, you know, slapped off the table. Uh, yeah. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, the the second to last warp blades, double five or any triple melee weapons equipped by models in this unit have the lethal hits ability. Uh, I think that's pretty great. Uh, you know, double fives or double sixes. Or well, just sorry, double fives or any triple, you know, it's lethal hits is not anything to scoff at. It's a nice little addition that you can add in, especially if you're going and you get the other bonus with double threes. So if you get two fours and two fives or something, you trade in those two fours for martial excellence to get sustained hits, and then you also give them lethal hits, which can be, you know, you can see how things can stack depending on where you're at in this. Um, and then the last one, Unbridled Bloodlust, double six or triple fours or higher. Uh, this unit is eligible to declare a charge in a turn in which it advanced, which is where things can get really scary. You see two sixes on there and suddenly this army that if you had two other doubles and you just increase their movement by two inches and then they advance and then suddenly they can all charge. And you can see where uh, a turn could pivot very quickly depending on what you roll for some of these corn dice. Yeah, it's unfortunate that you can't really plan ahead a whole lot with this like you could with Blood Tithe points. But at the right. same time, there's a lot of good uh, abilities here. And if you're, since you can choose, you were saying double three, double four. On my sheet, it says double three plus, double four plus. Did they have to yes, do that? Yes, my bad. No, 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 you're correct. It's my bad. I missed okay. the plus. Yep, sorry. Okay. No, no worries. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure. So, okay, so you have some flexibility with what you choose. You just mm -hmm. can't necessarily, I mean, you've, if you 
roll a bunch of ones, you're just eliminated from getting some of the better choices. So if you completely shag your roll once, you it might throw you off, or you just have an even. But even an average roll of varying of sufficient variance on eight dice should get you a, at least one decent one, if not two. And like you said, correct. Two inch plus two inches to move to your base movement. I mean, that's all. That's all. I can't think of a situation where you wouldn't want that. So right, yeah, and, and that's. You know, as you look at this, at these options and everything, they're not horrible by any means. None of them are necessarily throwaways. Some of them are more situational than the others and uh, th- how you can build into it. There's, and we'll go through the data sheets. There are in the data sheets and the enhancements, there's a couple ways to manipulate the, the dice as they come out. And so, you know, as you said, if you just roll eight dice, you're, you're bound to get some of this. It's, it's typical that it's going to come up. However, with some of the ways that you can manipulate the dice, you, you have. Uh, you can definitely increase your odds. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll get to the data sheets in a second, but first we got to talk about the detachment rule, relentless rage. What's that? Yeah, so each time a World Eater's unit from your army is selected to fight, if that unit made a charge move this turn, till the end of the phase, add one to the strength and attacks characteristics of melee weapons equipped by models in that unit. Uh, you know, it, it, again, the slight change from what it used to be, for those that were familiar, it used to be if you charged, were charged, or made a heroic intervention, and we know that's kind of adjusted and changed now, then that's where you used to get this bo- the same bonus. Now it's if that unit made a charge move this turn. And so that's what you have to do to unlock it. I still think it's awesome. I'm still a huge fan, especially in the case where that, that one strength and that extra attack, as long as you can mass it right and bring it to the right point, I think that one strength can make a world of difference in a lot of cases. Uh, okay. just how they go into it. So it's it's yeah. not not the worst uh, detachment rule by any means. Now, I'm only one practice game into 10th. So, um, but the way that heroic intervention is worded, would you consider that that, because it says you roll a charge roll to do a heroic intervention, would you say that that counts as making a charge move for this? Yes, I'm sorry. But yes, for that technicality, okay. it abs- I, I would agree. Yes, because it says okay. make a charge roll. Right, yeah, yeah. So, okay, all right, good. Um, I mean, good for you, not so good for us <laughs> non-world leaders players. Sure. So, uh, all right. Um, so obviously, this we're sticking with our expectations, which is um, try to get in people's faces and hit hard and hit harder. So, yes. um, at least we're being consistent. So, uh, all right, let's get into some data sheets. But before that, we'll take our second sponsor break of the day for Color Forge. The Competitive 4K Podcast is supported by Colorforge. I found Colorforge 18 months ago and I was blown away by the quality of the product. I've always had an incredible finish, not too thick, not too chalky, and have always had the perfect coverage in all kinds of weather conditions. The cans are around 25% larger and cheaper than most other brands on the market. All of the colors are matched to Citadel base color, so it makes that transition from rattle can to paints absolutely seamless. Check out www.thecolorforge.com to pick up your sprays today, along with a whole host of other awesome hobby products. All right, before we get back into some data sheets, uh, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to check out uh, the competitive Warhammer 40k community Facebook page. Uh, the password for the month of July, for or at least for the next few episodes, uh, in honor of my good friend Red Powell, is going to be Angron. So. Um, don't forget if you're going to come join us. Um, I might still accept Drago for another uh, couple of days after this releases, but Angron's <laughs> a new password for the rest of the month. Uh, nice. Again, no spelling check required. Uh, just get cl- phonetically close and I'll let you in. So, um, 
And then uh, also don't forget, um, there are still a few tickets available for um, the Vanguard Tactics Workshop at the Lone Star Open. Uh, Steve's going to be there. I will be there um, as his helper monkey. Um, my lovely wife will be there. And um, are you going to be there at Lone Star? I will be there. I absolutely All right. will be. So uh, uh, Red will not be helping out with the workshop, which you should definitely get <laughs> tickets for. But he will be there, so you can definitely come. Uh, talk to Red and check out uh, the Army Esports team and ask him any questions you might have about that too. So, guys, go to Lone Star and if you're going to go, come to the VT workshop. All right, with that, let's do some uh, data sheets. I guess we just start with with your boy Angron. I think so. I think that that's the right place to start. Um, uh, I'm a big fan. I know that there's some slight adjustment from previous, but you know, as they've unlocked toughness values and uh, strength. Uh, I think that it's gone in a great direction. I love the fact that he's got an OC of five. Um, so he's he can definitely sit on some objectives. And if he's able to to weigh out with some of the other OC of one units, he can throw down pretty well and, and sit on an objective. Getting into a fight, that is. With, with melee, his melee, uh, it's the sword and axe combo, uh, but it goes between two profiles. He's got the strike, which is the heavy hitter. It's eight attacks hitting on two, strength 16, AP minus four, D6 plus two. I'm pretty happy with that profile all around. Um, and then the sweep is 18 attacks hitting on two, strength eight, AP minus two, two damage, which I really appreciated. Some of these sweeps, it, it's kind of uh, discouraging for me when you see a sweep and it's only one damage, and you know, like that sweep is not going to take out a space marine kind of deal. It's going to get right. hemmed up and, and swamped. But this one can can swamp out. It, it can clear out Space Marines, which I was pretty happy with. So yeah, um, even even if even if a, a loyalist or you know some others you know even a Death Guard uh, Plague Marine squad mobs Angron, he's still gonna the one sweep's gonna you know once one set of sweep attacks should probably clear him out no problem. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And with hitting on twos, strength eight, AP minus two. It's right at what I would call kind of the. I mean, twos is, of course, hitting on twos is very efficient, but strength eight, AP minus two, uh, that's that's a sweet spot, in my opinion, right now, as far as a lot of things. I know it doesn't break against the toughness nine, but he's got the strike at strength 16, so he can he can crunch vehicles and he can crunch uh, large groups of infantry, which I think is really helpful. As you go into his abilities, uh, he can deep strike. He's got reborn in blood. So this is the what I was talking about, and it goes with the blessings of corn roll. Uh, if he's destroyed, you can use a triple six from that roll to use this ability. So it doesn't count as one of the two blessings that you get. Uh, so if you had enough dice or whatever, you can still make this work and still get two other blessings out of it. If you do, this model is no longer destroyed and is placed into reserves with its full wounds remaining. Which, you know, in the again, I would say I only bring up Blood Tithe in one other case, and that's here in Angron, where his other mechanic, older mechanic to bring him back into the fight was... Uh, you essentially needed six blood tithe points, and he would come back into the fight right into reserves, uh, but he would only have eight wounds remaining. Uh, but this brings him in with full wounds remaining, which I'll definitely take. Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome when it goes when that occurs. Uh, the wrathful presence at the start of your charge phase, select one wrathful presence ability, kind of like you've seen with some of these other super commanders uh, until the next until the start of your next charge phase. This model has that ability. Out of those three. He's got one or uh, they're all three of them auras. While uh, first one is glorious bloodletting, while friendly world eaters units within six of this model, each time a charge roll is made for that unit, add one to the roll. It's pretty spicy. 
uh, Infectious yeah. Rage Aura. While Friendly World Eater's unit is below its starting strength, is within six inches. Add one to the attack's characteristic. Uh, if a unit has a starting strength of one, is considered to be below if it's lost one or more wounds. And then the next one is Righteous Slaughter. While Friendly World Eater's unit is within six of this model, each time a model in that unit makes an attack, you can reroll that hit roll. So all three of those, and then again, I think it's really awesome that it goes back to at the start of your charge phase. Um, so it used to be his old one was you had to choose in the command phase, which was kind of tough because if he wasn't on the table yet or what have you, you know, he was out of kind of out of sequence for when he chose that uh, in the right. previous edition. And now they've changed that, and I, I'd argue fixed it. So it's in the charge phase, and you kind of know where you're going in the charge phase. And so you get the ability to choose out of these three abilities, which one you think is going to be the most beneficial for that charge phase specifically. Uh, and, and, you know, and going all the way through up to the next charge phase. And so I really like that you get to choose it then. Um, I think that out of those three auras, the one adding one to the charge roll is huge. Uh, and the infectious aura of adding attacks with, because there's, you know, between, uh, if you've got a bunch of, if you go into a play where you've got, uh, Hellbrutes or Mauler Fiends or what have you, this now pluses one onto them and, and adds, which is valuable given their number of attacks, which you want more of those and the strength that comes with it. So you kind of get to play depending on what's nearby or what have you. And then, of course, the aura to reroll the hit roll is always valuable in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, it definitely seems like it's a, it, it's a, it, you, you are, um, you've got three good options that you can just flex to depending on what you know where what situation you're in so that's good for um, sure have you have you had any practice games with world leaders yet in 10 i have yeah i've gotten a few in with 10th so i've heard i've heard some complaints that melee is not nearly as effective in 10th <laughs> edition and i know for some armies that might be true but looking at anger on stats alone i find that entirely difficult to believe so i think that it's just an adjustment uh in what we knew from melee don't get me wrong. I loved eighth uh, edition, ninth edition melee with, and I mean it went into seventh edition as well with pile in and consolidation and how that's all worked. They definitely right. have made some changes in tenth edition, which I, being a, a pretty proliferate melee player, I think that they did okay by the system. I think that they tried to do something that removed certain elements of jank, or at least what people considered jank playing against melee armies, because especially when world eaters when berserkers could activate twice i was gaining so much extra movement in pile in and consolidation and i do think that that was arguably intended because they didn't change it for a while uh, but i think they saw some of the interactions especially there at the tail end of ninth as you know they were trying to fix terrain and they were trying to address certain things i think they saw that consolidation was causing more issues uh, than what they had intended uh, because people were, how they were getting out of combat or moving into or out of so on and so forth and how terrain affected it. And so now they've limited it where you used to be able to move. And I mean, I would get a lot of extra movement out of consolidating, piling in. I would pile in and consolidate with no one around. It was just a free six inch movement. And then berserkers right. would go another pile in and consolidate, which would be another six inches. So suddenly you'd have berserkers that cleared out a unit with one of the berserker units than the other berserker units I had because I was running eight eight squads of eight or something like that and they would just keep moving and they'd just be across the table thanks to pile in and consolidate um and so i get it i understand why they made the mechanic change is it better or is it worse 
Is it better for the game? I think it's better for the game. Is it worse for the melee phase specifically? Sure. I'll, I'll, I won't play that off and say that you know melee is 100 times better now because they limited consolidation. No, it's, it is limited more. But is it to the extent that I can't do melee? No, I just need to change my mindset and how I approach it. I need to look at melee in a different way. I need to remove my uh, previous anticipation of my what was arguably an extra movement phase for me and just acknowledge right. that I'm going to pile in and consolidate in this very specific way. I'm going to try and get base to base as much as possible. I need to make sure that my units are, you know, if they're in base, the ones behind it have to follow up. And to some extent, it kind of changes my approach. I, I, I definitely, there's not an option to run squads of 20 berserkers anymore, but I can see how it's difficult to get these large mobs into a fight. I'm okay with five-man squads because those five-man squads are definitely going to get into the fight in a lot of cases when they do that pile-in. So there's a lot of things to consider. I think it's just different. Uh, from the practice games that I've played and, and some of the efforts that I've gone through, uh, it's, I, I had to, it took me some adjustment to get there. But once I got there, I just accepted the rules as they are now and planned my melee accordingly from there. And I was able to, to get through some, some pretty successful melee efforts, I would say. Okay, cool. All right. So with that, um, and we don't have to hit every character uh, or in every data sheet, but we definitely have to talk about, um, I believe he was the first captain of the, uh, um, of the world eaters, uh, Karn the Betrayer. <laughs> the eighth, the eighth captain, of course. Oh, was, that's right. Of course. Yeah, I know. Of course. It's all about the eight. That's so. right. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, Karn's come about in many manifestations. Um, the last iteration of him, uh, well, I guess not the last, the one pre- previous to the Codex of World Eaters dropping. He had this awesome ability where essentially every time he killed a character or monster, he just gained one strength and one attack. And he would just, like dominoes. It was awesome. He's not necessarily in that same league. He's got a little bit different in approach. Because now, you know, as units attach to units, you got to figure out how to make the most of Karn specifically. He still keeps his awesome, constantly overcharged plasma pistol. Uh, hitting on twos with no hazardous, by the way, so it can't backfire on him. But it is strength eight, AP minus three, two damage. So I appreciate that. He does still have Gore Child. Uh, eight attacks, pretty iconic with eight attacks. I do think that that's pretty awesome number of attacks for any character to have. Uh, hitting on twos, strength six, so seven on the charge, AP minus two, three damage. Definitely not complaining about that profile. Out of his abilities, legendary killer. Well, this model is leading a unit. Each time a model in the unit makes an attack, reroll a hit roll of one and a reroll a wound roll of one. Uh, Betrayer, this is pretty iconic for Karn the Betrayer, of course. Oh, absolutely. At the end of your charge phase, if this model is leading a unit, that unit is not within engagement range of one or more enemy units, you must take a leadership test for this model. That test has failed. One bodyguard model of your choice, and that unit is destroyed. Which, yeah, I mean, he, he doesn't need a hazardous plasma pistol. He is hazardous. Right. Yep. It's good. It's just like, oh, we're not in engagement range. You die. Yeah, that's awesome. Love it. Uh, very, very fluffy. Berserker frenzy. If this model is destroyed by a melee attack, if it has not fought this phase, do not remove it. It can fight after the attacking model's unit is finished making its attacks and then remove from play. So you still get your points out of him to an extent. Uh, I think he's a great attachment. Uh, I don't, you know, when you talk about the world of competitive, I'm not going to say that he's the best competitive option. Because you have to just accept that you're going to lose 
possibly lose a model um, at the end of a charge charge phase in which you're not already in a fight. You've really got to plan how to deliver a unit that he's attached to to ensure he's constantly in combat with something, uh, because otherwise he's just going to chew through your numbers. Uh, his outside of all that for 95 points. I mean, I'm not going to say he's an auto take by any means, but I do love the lore that he has adhered to. Pretty great. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I like the fact that they have never, ever gone away from his. In some, in every version, I think of the rules, he's always had some version of if he's not murdering the enemy, he's murdering his own people. Correct. And this one's pretty deliberate. The previous ones, yeah. some of them, it was like, you know, if any model is within an inch of him, they had to take. Uh, roll a dice, and if they rolled a one, then he killed them. But that was a previous version, which you just stayed outside of an inch. Now this thing, you got to stay out of a fight, or you got to be in a fight constantly. And like, you know, woe be the player that actually successfully kills a unit with his unit, because then you got to kill one of your berserkers at the end of that. So it's kind of yeah. funny. Yeah. All right, so then the next one is um, the new, I'm uh, fairly new model, the Lord Invocatus. And the the big complaint I heard from some people, including uh, my my good friend uh, First Sergeant um, Ken Purvis, was he's not flying anymore. That's true. Yes, he is not flying anymore. That is true. But I don't think uh, flying does the same thing that people thought it did before. You know, right. so it's it's a little different now. So it's I think it's okay. I think we move on. Uh, but I do think that he's still really good. As far as the characters go, um, his what he brings to the table, especially given that he's 155 points. So he he has scout, which means you know of course he doesn't confer his scout to a unit. He does have this road of eight bloody steps, which is pretty awesome. At the start of the battle, before any moves are made using the scout ability, you can select up to two friendly world eaters infantry units within six inches of this model that do not have the scout's ability. Until the end of the battle, all models in the selected units have the scout's six inches ability. So you put him, if you wanted to, you could attach him to a squad of berserkers, for example. And then he could choose one of that unit as well as another unit to have scouts. I think a more efficient option is to put him with some exalt, not exalted, but the just normal eight bound. They come with six inches scout as well. And so they can go together and then he can choose two separate world eater squads and then they can scout as well. Uh, and and he can then then you could have three units scouting up front right from the get go, which I think is an efficient way to approach it. Um, he also has counterattacks while this model is leading unit. That unit is eligible to shoot and declare a charge in a turn in which it fell back, which is pretty helpful given that your entire army is focused on doing this. Uh, so to give you that flexibility can really help out. He's pretty good. I mean, number he's got devastating wounds. You know how excited everybody is about devastating wounds. Yeah. Uh, and he's got seven of those attacks. And so he comes through pretty strong. Uh, I think he's a worthwhile consideration for any World Eater player. Uh, he definitely makes the army move fast. And when that's kind of the whole concept is to get across the table and smash something, uh, he's he delivers on that end. So I, I appreciate what he does for the army as a whole. Yeah. I, and it's funny, I was actually expecting that he was going to um, have to join a unit of, I like that he'd be, well, Blood Crushers or a Demon unit, but I wasn't sure what unit he'd be leading. And then he's actually allowed to join Eight Bound, Exalted Eight Bound, and Berserkers. So he's got Correct. a good selection of units that you can drop him into, too. 
So for list building purposes, it's pretty solid. He is. Absolutely. All right. Next one. Is the World Leaders Demon Prince worth a look or is this, it's a cool model, but meh. I think the Demon Prince without the wings is the one we want to talk about. Oh, okay. Simply, I'm going to jump straight to it. He is a Demon Prince. I think he's got, you know, for toughness 10, uh, which is nice because he just outs, you know, Laz Cannons and Meltas there. Um, But specifically, this ability he has, Infernal Fortitude. It's an aura. While a friendly World Eater's infantry unit is within six inches of this model, models in that unit have a four-up invulnerable save, which I think is massive. I think that's a huge one uh, that he grants to the infantry units of the army. He's definitely a mover. He's another great little mini threat along with Angron, for example. And so I think he's great. I think that that little buff right there is just enough He's just, you just got to make sure you can keep up with the army. So you got to be careful with the whole, you know, Lord Invocatus bonus, that kind of deal. But uh, as world eaters get out of their transports or what have you, or they're on the table, that four up invuln is, is just enough, a little bit addition to uh, survivability. It's worth considering. I'm not saying again, it's an auto take, but I do think it's worth considering. Okay, cool. And then uh, oh, and his other ability is kind of cool too. When he makes a charge move, all his his hellforged weapons gain devastating wounds, which the strike profile is okay. The sweep profile gives you fourteen attacks hitting on twos. So yeah. you're and he's and he's going to get that plus one attack on the charge. So you're talking about fifteen attacks. You're probably going to roll a couple of devastating wounds there and get a few mortal wounds through. That's not bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. So he's he's not. Uh, I think you know we've all anybody that's played chaos has kind of overlooked the the demon prince without wings for a while. Uh, they did a good job making him something separate from World Eater's Demon Prince with Wings, which has is completely different in its approach. Uh, just as a quick comparison, it's one ability I'll really throw out. Uh, Bloody Terror, it has two, but the, the one I'll throw out here is Bloody Terror at the start of the fight phase. Each enemy unit within engagement range of this model must take a Battleshock test. And so given the implementation of Battleshock, I just think that this is a good uh, thing to toss on there. Uh, it was pretty good. Okay. All right, cool. Um, let's see. Um, who's the next character that's worth worth a look here for you? Next character? Oh, so you know what? The Master of Execution. Out of nowhere. Just total surprise here. Because, I mean, Master of Execution, he's, he's the best, closest equivalent to a dismounted infantry chaos lord that we, we have in World Eaters. And... He doesn't seem like a lot until you go to his abilities and you go to Trophy Taker. While this model is leading a unit, models in that unit have the fight first ability, which is huge. When it comes to an army that does melee, this is a massive, massive boost. Uh, Extremely happy that they were able to do something like this. As a World Eaters player previously, not just with the 9th edition codex that came out, but playing Chaos Space Marines and then focusing mostly on World Eaters, uh, I had a lot of times an exalted champion, which allowed you to reroll wounds. I really see this as kind of my replacement to that. Uh, it's not the same. You're not rerolling wounds, of course. I get it, but that fight first ability is just, I think, that valuable uh, that it really takes it to the next level. Okay. And his his acts of his acts of dismemberment with devastating wounds and precision, combined with his murderous swing that lets him reroll hits and wounds against character models. Um, yes. I can see him absolutely smashing most characters that don't that have eight or less wounds to start yep and there's there's a uh, an enhancement we can talk about later that just remember that you know we'll bookmark it we'll come back to the master of Got execution it. 
when we get to the enhancements. Okay, cool. All right. Uh, and with that, now we're into the units. And we got to obviously talk about the, the you know, central unit of all world leaders units, the, My the boys. list, the, 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 your boys, the corn berserkers. Man, I love these guys. I am a little disappointed. I get it. I understand the way we went with points and how things are broken down. Totally understand. Um, but I used to just run eight eight man squads everywhere, right? Playing into the corn theme of eight. But uh, I'm not complaining. I get it. I, I just need to move on. I love these guys. They well, do have two wounds. It's a good move. They did. They did just change death guards so they can be taken in squads of seven. So maybe you know, in in a few more weeks, they'll they'll FAQ it so the berserkers can come in squads of eight. We can. Hope. Oh man, I'll totally do it. Uh, I will absolutely 100% do it. But as we get back into them, their abilities. They have blood surge, which uh, I think is a really good one that they brought in from the old, uh, well, from the previous codex that they had just released a few months, several months ago. Uh, Each time an enemy unit is selected to shoot, after that unit has finished making its attacks, if any models from this unit were destroyed as a result of those attacks, this unit can make a blood surge move. To do so, roll 1d6. This unit can be moved a number of inches up to the result, but this unit must finish that move as close as possible to the closest enemy unit, excluding aircraft. When doing so, those models can be moved within engagement range of that enemy unit. Unit cannot make a blood surge move while it is battle shocked. I think this is a great little thing. Again, going into, we recognize as world leaders, we do not have the range capability. This little benefit is just enough that if you you have to take a casualty because you were exposed or in the open or whatever to ranged attack, it allows you to just get back, get into the fight that much more. And so I, I was pretty excited to see that continue. And then going back, when we were talking about Blessings of Corn and we talk about War Gear, they have, uh, an, they can take an icon of corn. Each time a unit may make a Blessing of Corn roll, if the Bears unit is within range of an objective marker, you control, you can reroll one of the dice. And so this is what I was talking about, the ability to manipulate the Blessings of Corn. Yeah. You can go through and pick one or two. You know, you essentially are, are you, it is Yahtzee, right? It's corn Yahtzee. And if I have, <laughs> that, that's it. That's what it is. And then when I'm, uh, I can't run eight squads of them anymore. I can only run six battle line of the same type. And so I'm going to run six and I'm going to run, you know, for example, four five mans and two ten mans. And that's six times I can manipulate blessings of corn, which is pretty awesome. Uh, a pretty good little technique that you can add in. Jackals can also take icons of corn, so you can increase that number. You can essentially make it, you can manipulate all eight dice if you can squeeze it in point-wise. Okay. Um, so that's a good little thing. Melee weapons, you know, they, they have the Berserker chain blade, which is what they come with base. I, I have to you know, throw out, I appreciate strength five, AP minus one. So it's just enough, and especially if you go into the charge on a lot of space marines, they should still be wounding on threes typically. Uh, the corn eviscerator with three attacks, uh, hitting on three, strength eight, AP minus two, two damage. I'll take that. That's a pretty good jump. Uh, it's strength eight and AP minus two. It's just enough to start bringing it into that threat range for vehicles. And so when you're running around a lot of these units, five mans have one of those eviscerators, 10 mans should have two. Uh, and then you're, you're typically seeing in a five man, two plasma pistols uh, and 10 man, you can have up to three plasma pistols. Which is pretty healthy, I think, across the board. Yeah, uh, no, that makes sense. I, I like the blood surge because it's going to make things like uh, Desolation Marines go, do I really want to shoot at those Berserkers? Because then they're going to just end up in engagement range. Right. You know, yep. in, in my shooting phase. 
That's so, right. Uh, no, I dig that. That's very cool. It's good. Um, all right. Uh, and then speaking of the Jackals, um, are this, they were a, you know, obviously a new unit when the ninth edition codex dropped last January. And I, I never really, I know I've, I've heard people talk about them, but I don't think I've ever seen them on the table. Um, in ninth edition, are they something that's worth a look in 10th besides for the, for the blessings of core manipulation? Yeah, I think that, so they come with a feel no pain six up. So, I mean, and they're really not that durable. They've got six up save toughness three, like they're going to go down. I get it. They are fodder, but they do have, uh, you know, what a lot of people have, have referred to as sticky objectives. They have the ability objective, objective ravage at the end of your command phase. If this unit is within range of an objective marker, you control that objective marker remains under your control, even if you have no models within range of it, until your opponent controls it at the start of or, or end of any turn. And so the Jackals can essentially do that for you, where you can grab an objective, and then the rest of your army can do what it wants to do, which is just run off and attack stuff. And so you can you can use them to, to snag objectives and just move on. And, you know, is, is the, your opponent going to be focused on these Jackals just running around sticking on objectives? Or are you worried about the corn demon prince and the thirty, you know, the twenty corn berserkers and the the eight bound with Lord Invocatus plus Angron all in your face, and so they they can be a, a nice little uh, utility unit for the world eaters. I think I wouldn't I wouldn't okay. count them out entirely. So one or two units, maybe. I mean, at seventy five points for ten, one or right. two units probably isn't going to break the bank, and it gives you, like you said, the, some some tactical flexibility. While right. the other, you know. 1850 points of murder machine is in somebody's face stressing their guns and making them make you know life choices correct yeah so, so right. the army's not the army is as a whole is not condemned to just abandoning all its objectives to get into melee with somebody else yeah all right uh, and then we got to talk about um uh, a squad and a unit and models frankly that are really now literally the 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 smaller kin to the loyalist version, uh, the world leaders terminators, since they haven't gotten their bigger term, hopefully they'll get bigger terminator models to, to match the ones that just came out in the Leviathan box. Cause it's going to look really pathetic with these giant terminators <laughs> next to the chaos guys who are like, you know, 30% shorter. Um, and the, the new ones, the new chaos terminators even are a little better proportion, but they're, they're still not that, that well off. So I, I do appreciate these, their data sheet ability of Blood Fury. Each time a model in this unit makes an attack, add one to the hit roll if this unit is below its starting strength and add one to the wound roll as well if this unit is below half strength. And so they, they kind of ramp up a little bit. It's not totally discounted. They are, you know, they remain as durable as the rest. They have three wounds, toughness five, two up save, four up invuln, which I think is really nice. Uh, but that Bloody Fury... Uh, you can definitely see how they could they could get on an objective and they could remain there and they could kind of surprise people as they add one to the hit roll and add one to the wound roll uh, with their with their attacks. Okay, because this is any attack; it's not just melee, so it's also their shooting. Yeah, I just noticed that. I was just it says an attack; it doesn't say a melee attack. So even if you've got you know Reaper auto cannons or or whatever, it's gonna that's a that's a huge. Um, boon so you could they are going to be somebody you can park on a center center objective and say oh you're making you're shooting you, you killed a couple of the guys that's fine you just made us stronger yeah so all right uh is this something you think would be would be better as a five man or as a ten man um so when we look at i think it goes back into their their 
their abilities when we look at their ranged weapons um <laughs> so they they can all take the combi weapons and as we know that that nasty combination right now of anti-infantry four up plus devastating wounds and then if you take them below their half strength they're plus one to wound so now they're we're looking at you know it's you're doing a lot you're, you're putting a lot on the table as far as anti-infantry four up and devastating wounds um i i think there's something to that uh, i think that you kind of weigh out between five or ten i think ten is definitely the more durable option but if you want to get the access to that um bloody fury that they have you're you're looking at smaller units and you can see where they could go into mid objectives or far objectives deep strike into those and then be able to sit there and be dur- hopefully durable enough to sit there and, and dole out some of their shots and attacks yeah and of course they've always obviously got access how many chain fists can they okay so for every five models one can have a chain fist which has got that great anti-vehicle three plus rule. right so yeah yeah they're they've got all the, the flexibility that the, that most Terminators and cast terminators have, but you know, with the bonus of blessings of corn and and the uh, and the you know the detachment rule. So yeah, um, all right. And now we're on to the the coolest of the new models that came out in the last few months, the eight bound. Man, they did such a by by giving them the as I already mentioned the scout six ability. They really put these up, in my opinion. Um, they are tougher. I mean, the movement nine is nothing to scoff at with that possible two inch movement from Blessings of Corn, putting them at 11 inches, which is pretty good given their, yeah. their scout six. They, I mean, they're fast. They can get across the table real quick. Uh, they are tough to six. They have a three up save and a five up invuln. Uh Their data sheet ability, Beacons of Rage, while well, friendly world use unit is within six of this unit, each time a model in that unit makes a melee attack, reroll a wound roll of one. If that attack targets a unit that is below half strength, you can reroll the wound roll instead, so you can reroll it all. And that's, I think that's, again, there's these little pieces of synergy that when you look at all these data sheets in a vacuum, they, they seem okay. They seem all right. You know, I'll take that. That's good. It's not bad. But then when you start putting it all together, like Lord Invocatus and Eightbound and then World Eaters and then Angron and a Demon Prince, and you put all those together, suddenly you have a bunch of four-up invulns. Everyone's re-rolling ones to wound or more, depending on the strength of the unit they're attacking. Uh, Angron is giving his bonus, and you've got the blessings of corn on top of that. And suddenly, you have a lot of these. You know, that I used to joke because World Eaters did something very similar in Ninth Edition before their uh, Codex came out. They did it in Eighth Edition too, where you suddenly could ramp up with these stratagems and the way the stratagems would stack. And essentially, units would. I used to joke about them going like Super Saiyan. Because they just blow up, they just get super angry and just go absolutely berserk as they should be. And you can see this where there's certain moments in a World Eaters game where the army is going to do that, where they have all the synergy pushed together, and it's going to make one of these units in melee. Like you know, you're talking about people's opinion in regards of melee and it, how it currently sits in 10th edition. I think there's just enough synergy coming together here and there across the World Eaters army, that once you figure out how to put all that together into one fight phase, you're going to make a huge difference, a lot more than you'd expect. My tower not going to last very long. <laughs> I mean, you got plenty of shooting to make up for it, and Overwatch is a thing. But I do yeah. appreciate that uh, the 8-bound have the toughness, and again, a lot of these cases, you know, Angron's ability activates off of an 8-bound. Essentially, it's okay for a Berserker or an 8-bound to die. Because a lot of these abilities 
you know, getting an extra attack, that one aura, get an extra attack if the unit is below its starting strength. Something's got to die to get that benefit. That's okay. You expect you're going to lose them. You just have to embrace the fact that something's going to die in Overwatch or get shot along the way or what have you and roll with it. And that's where, you know, we talk about the Terminators, we talk about the eight bound. I, I do think there is value in massing and bringing larger units and being able to take advantage of that. So uh, I'm excited to, to use my eight bound and put them on the table. I have not got a, my eight bound are not complete yet. I've just been running my squads of berserkers, but I'm excited to get them together to, to get, to make them work. Very cool. All right. And then um, refresh my memory. Um, in the ninth edition codex, eight bound were limited to five models in a squad or six. Uh, they're three or six. In oh, in the in the uh, no in the ninth edition codex because yes they, yeah, yeah. I, I remember exalted was limited to three they were three but the the okay. eight bound could be three or six in the okay because I was I wanted to try and get enough together that I could have eighteen uh, so I was going to have six six and six and three squads and so the eight bound could do that in the previous one but the the okay. exalted eight bound were definitely just three okay and now the now the exalted can go up to six so. Are the exalted? Let me see. I'm just looking at the the stats differences. So it's their weapons. Uh, their weapons will be the difference, and then the ability they have the ability to deep strike, and then the uh, their aura is each time an enemy unit within six inches of this unit is selected to fall back, that unit must take a leadership test. If that test has failed, that unit must remain stationary this phase instead, which is pretty awesome as long as it gets through that leadership test. Uh, there's some armies that I think are going to suffer significantly from that if someone decides to bring a bunch of exalted eight bound. Okay, yeah, and they're well, well. I mean, that's three of them is 180, six of them is 360. So yeah. that's a huge points investment. It but is. I can see with with the stat lines on some of their weapons, they're going to absolutely just annihilate things. And their um, their melee weapons definitely. I mean, they they. They take it up another notch from just the regular eight bound, so it's it's worth considering. You you uh, what you highlighted as far as their points and them being an investment, they're absolutely an investment. Um, I I wasn't sold on going mass eight exalted eight bound because of it, uh, yeah. but I do think that there's still there is something to them that you can bring in. I think for them it really goes back to you know I was just talking about mass. For them it's different. Having three mans is okay. Because you really want them to hold something in a fight while the rest of the army does its thing. Because they can hold something if you can use that. It's just difficult to rely on the leadership test in a lot of cases. It's not as bad against Tyranids to a certain extent um, outside of Synapse. But the um, you know most Space Marines are leadership six, and so they're gonna they have more often than not gonna make that test and be able to fall back. Yeah. So then moving on to, I guess, vehicles is next. Uh, just yeah. going through the cards. Sure. Um, I, I do have to say I love that the um, Land Raider lays cannon for Loyalists is the God Hammer lays cannon. But the land, the World <laughs> Eater's Land Raider is the Soul Shatter lays cannon, which I think is the same one as this in the CSM book. I dig the name. I yeah, don't know too. that two shots at strength 12 is going to shatter anybody's soul. It's going to shatter two people's souls maybe. But Correct. Um, uh, but the the assault ramp for the world eaters definitely looks a hell of a lot better on their land raider than uh, you know most loyalist marines yes. for, for melee purposes. The 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 world eaters land raider may actually be a thing. Um, I think so. so. I think it has the given the the toughness, the save, and everything it brings in with the amount of wounds it has. 
each time, you know, assault ramp each time a unit disembarks from this model. After it has made a normal move, that unit is still eligible to declare a charge this turn. And again, if you've got Angron up there with it, and he's adding one to that charge just to help lock it in, um, I think it's a pretty big deal. I think that it's it's just enough. And with transport capacity of 12 World Eater infantry models, you can have a 10-man Berserker squad plus uh, that Master of Execution. So they're going to have that fight first ability. And so it's just enough that really takes them into it. I think it's great. I think that I, I still play Rhino Rush with my Berserkers, but the Land Raider with that Assault Ramp is is enough for me to consider two two Land Raiders with 10-man Berserker squads in them uh, for them to be able to roll out and do that. I think it's really great. Yeah, okay. And then I just dealt, went back and double-checked, and yeah, that first Blessing of Corn that add two inches to the move of a unit it just says any world eaters units. You could even put two, you know, move the this land raider from ten to twelve inch movement, and just hurl it across the field. That's right. You're and gonna then, get those. Yep, yeah, I'm gonna get my two inches. Sure. Yeah, it's coming. Uh, all right. So then, um, there's so many great melee units. Are you are you really going to spend points on the predators? <laughs> I know they've got some good anti uh, night options theoretically, but Sure. There's the, you know, it's not horrible. I, I appreciate what they're doing. I really was a bit, I got to say for two predators on there, I'm sitting here looking at my three world eaters, vindicators that I've had for several years now. I'm really disappointed of vindicator. Like that's the one vehicle you would have thought the world eaters would have kept going. Um, oh yeah. I didn't even notice that that's not here. It's not an option. Yeah. So with that, you know, the predators have, they do have some output. Not gonna just totally throw them out. They they their abilities, the annihilator, each time this model makes a range attack that targets a monster vehicle unit, reroll a damage roll of one. It's helpful because who wants to just put a couple shots into something that could get through? I mean the 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 predator twin las cannon, strength fourteen, hitting on threes, twin linked, AP minus three, D six plus one. Like, yeah, I'd be pretty bummed if I rolled a one. Um so annihilator yeah. helps. But at the same time, it's just, I don't know, it, it kind of, it, it seems like a weird play into the army. It is something you can put, and 130 points isn't inefficient. You can put it back on an objective, and it can sit there and shoot things, and it's going to help and be able to reach out and touch things like knights. So I'm not going to throw it out entirely. I do think that what kind of gets me is that I could take that, and you could look at bringing your own knight, your own your own ally or something like that, or a bloodthirster to add into the threat of Angron or something like that versus bringing in these tanks. But I can see where they apply. I do think that out, outside of them, I think there's some other good options. I, I want to, if you don't mind, I'll, I'm going to highlight the Hellbrute. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the, the Hellbrute, you take the base one, go back to that Dark Angel versus Chaos Space Marine starter set that they had in 7th edition. Take that oh, yeah. Hellbrute that everybody has with the multi-melta and the claw, and he's the perfect representation of what I think the World Eater Hellbrute could be. Because that multi-melta, two shots, melta two, you know, we, we strength nine, AP minus four, D6, I get it. Um, but you go into his melee, and the Hellbrute fist is nothing to, to scoff at. Five attacks, hitting on threes, strength 12, AP minus two, three damage, so he can crunch things. But really going to this ability, this is where I think it gets big, is the Frenzy. Each time an enemy unit targets this model, after that unit has finished making its attacks, this model can either shoot, 
as if it were your shooting phase or fight as if it were your fight phase. And so all they have to do is target it and it's getting free attacks. And that's where I think it probably makes the big jump over for 150 points versus the Predator's 130 points. It makes just that slight jump over the uh, inefficiency in regards to the Predator because it'll get those multi-melta shots out more often while they try to remove it. So I, I think there's value in that. And we, we can talk about some, when we get to stratagems, there's some bonuses I think you can use to help keep this thing on the table. So Okay. Um, and how about his um, arguably larger cousin, the, um, the Mahler Fiend? So the Mahler Fiend is in a good spot, I think. It is 170 points, so you're paying 20 extra points for uh, with the Mahler, Mahler Fiend Fist, so you're paying 20 extra points for an extra attack. Uh, and a little bit stronger in strength, same AP, and then D6 plus one versus three damage. And then its ability being each time you make a charge roll for this model, if one or more of the targets of that charge roll are below their starting strength, add two to the roll. So that's a really nice buff. And then each time this model makes a melee attack that targets an enemy unit that is below its starting strength, add one to the hit roll. So all you got to do is whittle a unit down a little bit, and this thing suddenly steps up. And it's it's hitting on twos with six attacks. Uh, And if you, instead of taking the magma cutters, if you take the lasher tendrils, it gets six extra attacks on top of that. So then you're looking at 12 plus the one for the charge because it's world eaters. You're looking at 13 attacks. And that lasher tendrils is just enough to to help sweep out mobs while the mauler fiend fist can definitely crunch a vehicle. And so... Is it worth it for 20 extra points versus the Hellbrute? I, I think it is. I, I do think that it's worth considering if that's what you're looking at. But it, it fits, you know, having listened to your show before, you know, y'all, y'all have talked about what is the role of a, of a unit? What is it supposed to do? That kind of deal. I don't think that the Hellbrute and the Mauler Fiend share the same role necessarily. The Mauler Fiend is definitely alongside Angron and the 8-bound and trying to get up the field and what it does tactically versus, you know, what the the... Hellbrute's supposed to do, which is it could sit back. It doesn't have to get into the fight as quickly as possible. It's got that melt, multi-melto. It can it can reach out and touch someone. It can sit on an objective and frustrate someone, make them come do it. Okay, yeah, then no, that makes total sense that that the Hellbrute's going to be more of a I'm going to stomp out here and I'll stand on this objective, and if you try to shoot at me, I'll shoot you back. Right. Whereas, yeah, the Mollerfiend just yeah, that makes absolute sense. Give him the lasher tendrils, just yeet him up the field and um, let him do what he does to try to just start smashing through things which i so, can appreciate yeah absolutely um and then of course there's the the ubiquitous rhino as you mentioned you're still a fan of the rhino rush um, <laughs> am i i mean it's it's an awesome platform i know it, it it might sound funny to say that but with movement 12 and now it doesn't degrade in the same way like it used to t9 i think is just a perfect little spot for survivability and it's three up save for me, a lot of times, it just ends up being the fact of how you disembark from the vehicle and that three-inch movement to get out. Like The rhino doesn't even move half the time. It's just if you get close to a rhino and, and all of a sudden two squads of five-man berserkers pour out of it and are suddenly coming out and at distance to you. And so that little bonus, that rhino rush ability and, and what those rhinos can provide is just enough that uh, I, I really do appreciate. I've got four that I'm looking at right now which have carried my army faithfully forward through so many different fights. Um, they're great. They're awesome. Yeah. I, I fully expect by the time you get to the Pentagon that, that the SDC for the Rhino will 
start becoming a standard <laughs> issue for the U.S. military. So, uh, all right. And then I guess the last couple units uh, in the index cards, um, Chaos Spawn were, were kind of a big deal for some Chaos lists in ninth. And I've heard talk of them being just still fast at, eight, at an eight inch move. They're a fast little objective grabber or something for an early game move. Sure. Is this something you're going to waste points on? So for 65 points, I'd probably, if it was an objective focus, I'd probably just go with the Jackals. Um, okay. I, I could see these guys, they're not horrible at four wounds a piece. You only get two of them. Um, admittedly, at the end of ninth edition, I was running three single units, like a, three units of one spawn a piece, and they were objective grabbers. And it was frustrating because if you didn't kill them entirely in a phase, they would just regenerate. And so it was a matter of they were really hard to kill in ninth edition. Now they have regenerating monstrosities at the start of each player's command phase. One model in this unit regains up to D3 lost wounds, which is just not the same. And so for 65 points, uh, I could see where some people might take this. They do have a feel no pain of five up, but I, I still value the sticky objectives piece of the, the jackals because they can run out, grab something, and move on to the next one, depending on where those objectives are. So it's it's something to consider, but I think that indirect picks these up even easier than it picks up jackals. Okay. All right. And then uh, last but not least, the Corn Lord of Skulls, which just recently mm. got, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that it was even necessary, but, you know, since everything with the towering keyword had to get the, the nerf hammer across the back of the head, the Corn Lord of Skulls went up to 525 points. <laughs> Is that worth it for, I mean, it's an awesome model. But sure, it, I, well, it, it is an awesome model. I absolutely agree to that statement. Is it worth it? Oh, uh, that's that's that is tough. It's tough to come back from because it when it puts out in range, sure, it's got towering, but its range really isn't. I mean, it's uh, the, the Gatlin cannon's cool 48 inches range, 12 shots, hitting on three, strength eight, AP minus two, two damage with sustained hits. It can do some damage. It can actually lay it out. But is it, you know, on par somewhere between a, a tyrant and a, a despoiler? Or as far as chaos knights go, I can't remember the name of the imperial knights. But is it really there? I don't know if it is. It does have a cool uh, manipulation not a ability. Knight. No, it's not a wraith knight. It's absolutely not a wraith knight. Should a wraith knight in this case should a wraith knight be more points than a corn lord of skulls? A hundred percent. Yes, it should. I, I don't think that there's enough justification in other stats and areas for it to, to take up 525 points. Uh, the, the, its ability, uh, here we go, for a manipulation of Blessings of corn. Each time you make a roll for each enemy unit destroyed by this model in the previous battle round, you can add one to or subtract, subtract one from one of the dice rolled. And so there we go back to the the manipulation of blessings, which is cool. You could accomplish yeah. some great stuff with it. But, you know, if I put this next to Angron, um, is it is it just going to suck down too many points? Because that's that's your entire army right there. And so it's a, it's a struggle. But uh, I, I wouldn't count it out in some cases. I'm excited to see how people, if they choose to run it, how they make it work. Um, I think when it comes down to a knight versus knight, kind of deal towering versus towering a wraith knight or even some of the other knights are, are going to unfortunately do significant damage to this model yeah makes sense all right 
so let's go back and talk about enhancements. I still want to know what this combo is you were talking about with the uh, the master executions. Oh yeah. So first, well, we'll go. Okay, so we'll go right to that. So Berserker Glaive, uh, World Eaters model model only add one to the attacks and damage characteristic of melee weapons. So you just took that blender, that character sniper in melee, right? And you've added one to his attacks, which just gives him an even more. And then you added one to the damage characteristics, which then took him from two to three. And now with devastating wounds and precision, he's just he's going to crush a character now at those odds, right? Because we're we're talking, uh, I think it's nine attacks now on the charge. And then each time the bearer ends a charge move, roll 1d3 until the end of the turn. Add the result of that roll to the attacks and damage characteristic of those melee weapons instead. So that just takes it to the next level. We now have d3 adding, you know, he, he could be doing up to five damage uh, for each attack. Aye. And that's that's where he just kind of, like I said, he, he just kind of goes Super Saiyan, goes off the rails. And so it's, it's a pretty awesome combo for the Master of Executions. The other enhancement that I really think is worth highlighting, which I, I honestly, in a lot of cases, will take this over even the Berserker Glaive if I had to choose, is the favorite of Corn. World Eater's model only. Each time you make a Blessings of Corn roll, before doing anything else, the bearer can use this enhancement. It's not a once per battle. It's just each time you roll. If it does, discard all of the dice from that roll and make a new Blessings of Corn roll. This new roll does not count as a reroll. So any rules that enable you to reroll or manipulate individual dice, example, Icon of Corn, can still be used. Which is, again, going back to the manipulation of Blessings of Corn, this thing is choice and it's going to help you when you just totally flub the corn Yahtzee game, this thing is going to help you get just that much closer to the statistics that we, we think are average, right? Right, yeah. The, the, the myth of the average dice roll, but yeah. Right. The, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I, yeah, that favorite of corn was you, you roll your eight dice, you don't like it, re-roll all of them, and then you can still go back and re-roll the couple here and there for your icons of corn that you want to just... Correct. Yeah, that's a lot of you still have that that chance of that that element of chance to it because you could still just tank all your rolls all the way through, but your odds are at least better of getting the the numbers that you want for those blessings of corn. That's actually really cool. Um, let's see. Then there's the uh, battle lust. Just to be completionist here, you can select the bearer's unit for the heroic intervention stratagem for zero CP and can do so even if you've already targeted a different unit with that strat this phase. So. I guess you could stick that on a Lord on a juggernaut or something. Cause it's one of the few characters right. that's not a named character and Correct. Let, him, let him, uh, heroically intervene extra. And then the helm of brazen ire, you sound like attacks allocated to the bear, have the damage characters of that attack. Um, I mean, we all learned anybody who went against, um, Morvan Vol in ninth edition knows that that's a very useful ability. So, yep. um, Put it on that demon prince that you're using to to carry the four up invuln across the field. It's not a yeah, bad. Yeah, there one. you go. No, yeah, that's a, that's a solid combo right there. Very yeah. cool. All right, um, and then let's talk some strats. So, um, first one is gory massacre for one CP. Sum it up for me. Okay, so this one, given one of your armies that made a charge move and then destroyed an enemy unit, what you're looking at is that. You force a battle shock test, and then if it's below half strength, you're subtracting one from that test. And so, you know, a, a five-man berserker squad charges into something. Take it, you know, like a a large squad of IG, 
you know, Astra Militarum infantry, and you cut it down to from 20 to 10, or cut it down to nine, then you subtract one from their leadership, and you're forcing a Battleshock test um, just right ahead. And it's, I think it's worth it in cases where you're trying to control objectives. It allows Corn to not just play the kill game, it allows him to play the objective game by being able to battle shock a unit. And then if you've done enough damage, you can reduce that. So it's, it's not, a, not a bad uh, stratagem. I can see where it has play. It's not overly situational either. Okay. Uh, and then the next one is for the Skull Throne. Yeah, so this one, I always love when they throw in the, the verbiage for it, but this one, oh, yeah. uh, in, in a lot of cases in the previous renditions of World Eaters, people would ask how I got, because I would charge everything with Berserkers. I'd charge vehicles, I'd charge monsters, I'd charge whatever. Uh, I remember one time I watched 20 Berserkers charge Townar, uh, or no, it was a Storm Surge, and they took the Storm Surge out, no problem. Wasn't worried about it. Wasn't remotely concerned about it. Um, but there was a lot of things that went into that, being able to reroll wounds and all that. When we get to this and we talk about it, uh, making a melee attack till the end of the phase, in the fight phase, when you're targeting a character, a monster, or a vehicle unit, add one to the wound roll. And so that one's huge in being able to take on a lot of these vehicles and that kind of deal. You're hitting at strength six, maybe strength seven if you can ramp it up enough. But a lot of times you're looking at strength six for berserkers alone. And so being able to add that one to the wound roll is just enough to take you into the right, you know, that, that sweet spot of melee where you're actually going to be able to damage vehicles and things like that and take them down. Now the next part also, tag this onto, <laughs> tag this onto the, uh, I'll start with the lesser of the two evils, tag it onto the Hellbrute who's attacking against something because he just got targeted. And so now he gets to fight back and it's in the fight phase and you use this thing to get him to be able to wound on on ones against some character or vehicle that's trying to hurt him in the fight phase. The other one is the uh, what we've already talked about, the Master of Executions. Adding wound to one to the wound roll for him is just taking him up to that next level again while he's targeting oh, yeah. characters. Right? Yeah, as soon as I saw character, I was like, oh, he's going to say Master of Executions. Watch. <laughs> there you go. Very cool. All right, uh, and I'm noticing a trend. Uh, each of these, at least on this first page, uh, there's four strats, and they're all when fight face, fight face, fight face, fight face. So at least we're continuing oh, yeah. the theme. So the next one is for the blood god again, one CP. Um, just a fight phase, just after a world leader's unit from your army destroys an enemy unit. Take it away. That specific unit that just destroyed it, you get to make a blessings of corn roll. You can use the result of the roll. Uh, and activate one blessing, which is, I think, key. Because you roll the eight dice, you get to choose one. And then that blessing doesn't count towards the maximum, so it doesn't count against the two you already had. But then you just get to add in another. And so you use that. This goes back to the momentum. And one CP for this, I was really happy it wasn't two. I kind of thought it would be. But the ability, like, we've already talked about how you can get sustained hits, lethal hits, and you can just keep adding on to this effect. And if you used, you know, you made the corn the blessings of corn roll, you gave yourself two inches or you gave yourself advance and charge, and then you gave yourself sustained hits. And now you get to do this because you killed a unit, you've got a bunch of other fights already lined up, and now you're adding in lethal hits, for example. And so it's really cool how you're able to use this to kind of still stack into that objective for that turn through the blessings of corn in this strat. Okay, very cool. And because it lasts 
because the blessed is a corn lasts until the end of the battle round. If you do this at the whoever's whoever's got the for the first fight phase in the round, it'll still carry you through the next right um, yep. battle the, the next turn. And, and especially if you're going second, you can get your advance and charge at an unexpected time or something. That's that's right. That's very cool. All right, and then uh, now we have the the two CP uh, choice of the lot. Corn cares not. And this one, yeah, I, I bookmarked on the Hellbrute. This is a good one for that. Essentially, uh, fight phase, just after an enemy unit selected its targets, one World Eater unit from your army uh, selected as a target of one or more of that enemy unit's attacks. Till the end of that phase, each time an attack targets your unit, subtract one from the damage characteristic of that attack. This is how you keep Hellbrutes or forge, you know, Mauler Fiends or what have you. You can keep a lot of stuff in the fight using this. I think it's a great, great strat. 2CP is a little tough, but I think that because of the versatility of this strat, people will be surprised when they see uh, you know, the unit that you thought was going to get wiped off the map or just taken out right away by something. You know, The Lion is a great thing. Uh, he's awesome in melee. The, the Lion, as he's come out now, and in 10th oh, yeah. edition, he's, he's a beast. Um, this is something that I would be sitting there wanting to, to roll out. I know you can't stop some of those mortal wounds he's going to dish out, but the Still, at least from the damage, I, I would definitely use this in a lot of those cases. So it's a great defensive strat. Well, and actually, I think the way it's written, each time an attack targets your unit, subtract one from the damage characteristic. So devastating wounds is going to be impacted by this. Correct. So that's that across the board. When you're, you know, if you try, if somebody comes at Angron with a whole lot of devastating wounds for something, some anti monster attack or something, and you yep. go, mm, okay, but you're going to do. One last with every single one of those. Exactly. That's going to make somebody last a whole lot longer. So um, that's actually, I think that has a lot more. I can see why it's 2CP because it has some, depending on if you play it at the right time on the right character or the right unit, could really be pivotal in keeping somebody around. 100%. So, that's cool. All right. Um, and then um, Blood Offering, 1CP. This one can be used in any phase. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it is the, there's only two that were outside of the fight phase, this one and the next one. And this one is essentially once a one of your units is destroyed within range of an objective marker, that objective marker remains under your control. So essentially it gives you sticky uh, if something was killed or just wiped off. And that's where some of this, uh, again, I really appreciate that this army is just not all about, it is, you know, the, the units are, but there are components and mechanics to it that allow you to hold objectives. Uh, a squad gets to an objective and they get wiped out shortly thereafter, and you can use this blood offering to essentially hold that objective until the enemy gets there. So it's it's, it's pretty helpful. Yeah, I can see that. You know, you park a unit of um, you know eight bounder or berserkers on a unit on a on an objective, and all this indirect fire that everybody's wielding now blows them off the objective. You play that and. The, you, the objective's still yours. You're still scoring points, and because they're tucked back behind cover, you know, with with their indirect, they're not taking it away from you right away until they stick their head out, and then you come chop it off. Exactly. So, all right. Yeah. No. That's I. I absolutely agree with you. I, you're 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 lighting the path for me here. That world leaders are not just if we murder every model you have, we win. If otherwise, we lose. Like that's <laughs> which once upon a time there, you know, when world leaders were first developing. That's kind of what it was. If you played right. a, you know, either you tabled your opponent or you lost the the you lost on score. So, 
Um, I'm glad that they've they've built in these options so you don't you're not stuck with that option. So and then the right. last one is apoplectic frenzy, which is a hilarious name. Uh, one CP in the movement phase. What's this do? So I like this one. You choose a unit that has not yet been selected to move, and essentially it's just auto advance six inches. Um, it allows you to oh, get nice. that distance. And so if you just happen to get the blessings of corn, you got Yahtzee, and now you can advance and charge. And now you've got this thing that allows you to auto advance six inches. It's going to get you into that that fight just that much quicker. And then on top of if you got the two inches, you're now looking at two inches to their movement and then add six. So now you're going eight and then you, you advance and charge. If you're able to get that combo off through the blessings of corn, I think it's yeah. awesome. I think you've just yeah. catapulted a unit into the fight. Yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. All right. Um, so with that, now that we've, we've covered, um, we skipped a couple of data sheets, but you know, for, sure. for all intents and purposes, we've covered every, you know, every key data sheet. We've gone through the strats and enhancements. Obviously, the overall play style is, like you said, essentially get into the, your opponent's face as fast as possible and commence to, you know, mass murder as much as you can while still making sure that you can um, take and hold primary objectives. So, obviously, you know, the, the question I always ask um, the experts in these episodes, in tenth, you know, with these 10th indexes is, how does it score the primary? Are you... Just moving up, you know, you, you, you lean, using your lean into the battle line units and using just, you're not camping on objectives. No, no. I mean, I, I, I intend to, to, in certain ways, I intend to kind of camp on your objectives, right? Across the field. It's just a matter <laughs> of getting there. Um, uh, and so with that intention, now I, I will likely leave something like rhinos behind, right? Uh, right. Or I'll send the rhinos back. And so the rhinos will carry me forward. I'll have something like the sticky objectives early on with the jackals, for example. Hold some of my back objectives with that while everything else pushes forward. Once I get into the fight, I honestly, I'm not expecting all the rhinos to die right away or just straight up vanish. Uh, And so those ones that don't get obliterated, those will go back and sit or hold my objectives and try and make it painful for anything else that might come back. Sometimes the rhinos get used for movement or they soak up overwatch or what have you. but for the most part, they can do that. And they do it pretty effectively. I've rarely had any issues with it. Because as I throw 40 berserkers down the table, uh, the rhinos become of little concern. 40 berserkers plus Angra, right? Yeah. So there's some consideration to what you're trying to fight and manage. Um, and so that's, while they do that, the rest of the army is really focused on getting in there and getting to the objectives, preferably the objectives on the other side. Uh, you know, if you meet someone in the middle, I think that's probably Korn's best scenario is that they're meeting an army in the middle of the map, someone that wants to match or meet them there. So they can start fighting over those objectives early, but you've really got to look for a a penetration point for your team because you can't just stop. Even though you're going to meet them in the middle, you've really got to start pushing your momentum forward. You can't just get hung up on whatever's in the middle because that's arguably the person that you're playing against wants that to happen. Why else? Typically, why else would they want to do that, right? They want to mire you in the middle and then be able to extract themselves or fight you or, or kit you there into their kill zone. I, I want to get into the back. I want to penetrate deep into the rear and then be able to fight on your objectives. That's really what I want yeah. to try and do. You want to say your your deployment zone is now mine. Correct. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Um, 
So secondaries, is this um, in the games you've you've uh, played so far? Are you finding it more beneficial to use fixed objectives or to use the tacticals? So I, depending on who I'm playing, I think that it's less about my army in a lot of cases. It's more about who I'm playing against versus fixed or tactical. Um, I like the tactical when you there are more objectives on the field in a lot of cases because there's a lot more flexibility depending on where I'm at. Um, if there's fewer objectives, I, I do find myself towards more fixed. And then I've only gotten a couple practice games in since the uh, you know the TO document dropped with the recommended mission combinations, and so I've only started to practice that those elements. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so uh, you had mentioned very briefly a little bit ago. Do you think that world leaders will benefit from say allying in? Um, a couple of small knights or one big knight or something, or is this that's just don't so, bother, just go world eaters. No, I I think that it could. I I'm not saying you have to by any means. You do not have to. I absolutely love two thousand points of world eaters just by itself. I think Angron and a demon prince, even Angron, and you know if you you want to go big with the Lord of Skulls, I, I still think that they they can do it by themselves. I do think that a rampager is pretty cool. Pretty cool combination right next to Angron, a big knight charging in that's completely melee. Um, the Despoiler definitely brings the ranged combination that World Eaters just don't have in that same kind of number of volume. Um, Is that the one with the Volcano Cannon? So that's, no, that's the Tyrant. Uh, the oh, Despoiler okay. is the one that can have like two ranged weapons. And so you can have oh, two, right. okay. two battle cannons or two Gatling cannons or whatever. I think two okay. battle cannons is a good option just because of the strength, the AP, and the damage is pretty consistent. I know you're rolling for the number versus the shots given off of Gatlings, but it's just strong enough, just has enough of a bump in AP and damage that I think it's worth it if you were going to take the spoilers. But I'm absolutely, I still have to reiterate, I will not say it's a must take. You do not need to bring you don't have to bring a knight ally just to make this army work, in my opinion. Okay, so viable option if if that's your if that's your jam, but not we're not in a situation where world leaders will only function if you do if you include or ally in X, Y, and Z. So sure, all right, that's yep. good because I always like seeing pure world leaders armies. I mean, I don't like seeing them on the other side of the table from me, <laughs> but I like the 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 visual aesthetic of the world leaders are here, the world leaders are here. And you don't right. feel like you have to bring in, you know, I still also, you know, have horrible memories of, of sixth edition and all the crazy cross allied nonsense that went on. So that's right. Um, I, you know, without having to use, get crazy allies, just, you know, having an entire single faction opponent is, I, I think aesthetically cooler too. So, all right. Um, strengths and weaknesses of the world leaders strengths besides melee. What do you think are the, are the, the overall strengths of the, of the faction? So I, I think that it's hard for people to plan for the blessings of corn. Um, I think that it has enough of a swing to it that people, it, it just as hard as it is for the, the player learning the army and figuring out how to make all their blessings work, once they get comfortable with it and they kind of get their groove of it, uh, when you're playing in a competitive environment, it's not necessarily the same meta group that you always play against. Uh, it's it's harder for people to anticipate exactly what benefits or how hard you're going to get there or how quickly you're going to get there. And so there's just enough of variance to the mechanics with Blessings of corn 
and how all those different synergies come together that I think it's hard for people to predict and, and play off of what the World Eaters player is going to do outside of them just charging you, right? It's a matter of how you get charged and how that melee comes in, exactly how you're going to do that. And so with the way terrain set up and you know, looking at the GW layouts and all that, I do think that there's enough that the World Eater Army is, shouldn't be taken for granted. I know that there's a whole talk, and we've, we've mentioned you know, the mix of anti-infantry plus devastating wounds and what that does and that, how strong that kind of combo is. But I do think that the World Eaters have the durability because nowadays, you know, you just get clipped by terrain invisibility, and you've just gained a benefit of cover. And so going to a two-up armor save while you're trying to advance is nothing to scoff at. Having a four-up invuln granted by that demon prince is nothing to scoff at. Suddenly getting a six-up feel-no-pain on top of that. Again, it's just there's ways to make this army a lot more durable than people think. And you have to be thinking about that. You can't just go into it with the mindset that all I'm going to do is charge you and I'm just going to roll those dice. You have to sit there and figure out all these things that you're going to bring in. I'm not saying it's as uh, complicated or complex as GSC, for example, and all the things that they need to do, but it's still present within the army and you need to be aware of those things. Okay. All right, cool. And so what are some of the weaknesses of the, the world leaders? <laughs> Lack of range. Hands down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Desolation the, Marines and yeah, decans. You can't reach out and touch someone in the same way that a lot of other armies can, and that's okay. Um, I do think that the the benefit of being able to overwatch at, in the movement phase is a huge bonus because you, you don't have to be charged. The fact that you have to make a charge roll, uh, the changes to the charges, how we talked about with piling in and consolidating, all of that help the ranged player shape the battlefield a little more in certain ways. Um, and the, the corn player has to be very deliberate in how they make those charges go. And that's part of this is that the weaknesses, I'll say, and this is something, it's not just me, I'll say it's something that melee armies struggle with in general, is a matter of time. There's only so much time to play and you got to be able to finagle all these little finesse movements and how you get the melee piece done. Whereas ranged armies, you just, you do point and click. You say, I'm going to target this, and I'm going to roll these dice, buy these attacks, and that's it. You got to do all that with melee too, but you also got to move all the pieces to get them there. And that can, players just need to be mindful of time because that time is going to cut into your options as an army. Yeah. It's going to stress your decision making for sure. It will. So, and it seems like if you're going to make the most out of world leaders, as I'm thinking, as I'm listening to you talk and I'm thinking about this, it seems like you're going to have to be much more precise with your movements. Yes. To make sure that you're not overextending or, um, you know, not being aggressive enough. You have to be very meticulous with your movement phase or you're done. Yeah, absolutely. There, there's a lot more risk than there used to be. You used to be able to make up for a lot of it with the extra piling and consolidate. And so now your, your deliberation needs to be pretty exact. Okay. All right. All right. Well, um, any other notes you want to throw in before we, um, Put a bow on this one. Uh, you know, I, I, I just tell everybody to, if they are discouraged or they're, you know, kind of turned off by the melee aspect, I would say clearly we've seen some changes come through. I think that there's still some more adjustments coming. Don't throw out the the baby with the bathwater in this regard. You just yet let things continue to develop. It's a new addition. 
we're all still kind of getting on board with it. Um, and the, the team at GW has demonstrated that they're continuing to adapt. And so I think that if something, if we see something skew too far off and the aspect of the mechanics aren't doing what they're supposed to, I think that they're going to find other ways to make it work. And so I, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic right now. I appreciate where I'm at with the army. Um, it is there, there's, I'm optimistic and that I think that as I've always done with world eaters, it's, it's I'm a level four NPC. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I understand <laughs> there's a couple more things I got to add in, but I'm going to keep doing right. that. And uh, I expect every player I play against to play tower defense. And if you're another melee army, like then I'm going to have a great time because our army is going to collide. And I look forward to that too. So it's going to be good. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Excellent. So um, with that, uh, normally we would uh, cut out here to a uh, battle-ready segment um, with James from Siege Studios, but um, we have run out of uh, segments. I have not had a chance to get with James to record any more of those, so unfortunately we have to skip that on this episode. Um, But um, I'm going to get those done as soon as possible. So for those of you that want uh, battle-ready or are looking forward to battle-ready coming back, uh, get on the Facebook page. I have a link on there. I have a sticky um, uh, link on there for you guys to ask questions. So please go on there and fill it out. Um, and then, uh, you know, I want to get some more questions over to him soon. So that's about it for this episode. Um, I have obviously a huge thanks uh, to Major Red Powell of the United States Army for coming on here, my good friend. Uh, are you playing it also? Or are you just um, going to be uh, coaching? Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be playing. Playing, awesome. playing World Eaters. I'm really excited. Outstanding, dude. I can't wait to see you. So that's less than two weeks. I will see you there. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for giving us your time and your attention. Uh, we're certainly uh, excited. I am excited about 10th edition. I'm excited to uh, see my good friend here at uh, Lone Star Open and watch him uh, absolutely crush people with world leaders to defy expectations. Um, so, uh, I would tell you what, obviously, again, I'm going to tell you what we're recording next, but I still haven't known. I'm still trying to get guests lined up for, for some. Um, I will say, speaking of people defying expectations, um, somebody won a, uh, a GT with Death Guard uh, last week, and I'm trying to set <laughs> something up with him uh, to, to come on and talk Death Guard. So we're gonna get, I'm trying to get some great guests in here. And yes, Steve and Mike will be back to talk about other things. Steve is um, anxious to talk about Gene Steeler Cults and Blood Angels. So um, lots of new content and great stuff coming up, guys. So obviously stay tuned. Uh, until then, this is Dave Calmel for Red Powell and all of Vanguard Tactics saying... If you really wanted to stare death in the eye, you should have gotten married. Take care and have a good week. See ya.